Welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host today, Tim Page Bodorf, and you're with Safe Talk with Safe Start. Today, our guest is Chief Client Officer for Safe Start, Mr. Don Wilson. Don, how are you today? Hey, I'm great today, Tim. Um, it's great to be back. Uh, the last time I talked, it was with your uh, is with your colleague, and, and all I did was complain about how cold the weather was up here in Canada. And now it's June, and I'm just complaining like every other Canadian about how hot it is. So <laughs> you, you can't keep us happy. I guess that's true with regard to the weather. Anyways, other than that, I'm uh, I'm very glad to be here. Thanks that's, for having me. It's great to have you. And down here in Phoenix, for your benefit, it is June, and of course, it's 106 degrees right now. So. <laughs> Okay, I'll stop complaining. <laughs> Not to one up. I don't ever want to one up a boss, but uh, it's all good. Thanks, uh, thanks so much for that, and I appreciate it. We've invited Don back for well, primarily two reasons. First, to illustrate the power of stories, and second, the power of speaking up. Some at the employee level will actually call it stop work authority. When I heard this story, I knew we had to have you back on the podcast. So, Don. Why don't you take it from here? Okay, sure. Thanks, Tim. Um, so our story begins with a gentleman named Albert William Hopton. Now, on the morning of May 1st, 1962, A.W., as his friends and business acquaintances called him, left his home in Waterloo, Ontario, Canada, and took a short drive to the Westmount Country Club. There he joined some friends for a round of golf. After the game, he came home, had lunch with his wife, Marjorie, and then went outside to tend to the roses in their garden. Now, sometime later in the afternoon, he was discovered lying by the flower beds. He had died as a result of a sudden cardiac event. Now, although his passing at age 64 was a tragic event for his family, it was not at all unexpected. Young Albert had suffered from rheumatic fever as a child, and the disease had permanently damaged his young heart. Doctors had warned A.W. that this damage would ultimately end his life prematurely, and unfortunately, their prediction had been correct. Now, 300 miles away in Ottawa, A.W.'s youngest daughter, Carol, received the news of her father's passing. She was asked to return home as soon as possible to be by her mother's side and to help to arrange for the funeral. But before she and her husband could begin the long car trip to Waterloo to look after her grieving mother, she needed to arrange care for her own three children. Now for the two oldest, Larry age five and Susan age three, there was an easy solution. They would just stay with her husband's family. The youngest son, however, was going to be a problem. He was just over one year old at the time and had recently come down with some sort of cold or flu. The family doctor who had made a house call earlier that day had advised continued bed rest and observation for the infant, and he was concerned enough about his condition that he had promised to return to check on the boy the next day as well. Now, desperately needing someone who could come to her home and stay with her baby, Carol telephoned Christine, a young woman who sometimes looked after the children. Christine had originally come to Ottawa from South America to act as the nanny for the family of the Chilean ambassador. When the diplomat and his family eventually returned to South America, Christine decided to stay on in Ottawa and become a Canadian citizen. Always fond of children, 
she had continued to work part-time as a babysitter. So over the phone, Carol outlined the situation and Christine immediately agreed to come over and stay in the house to look after the sick child until the funeral was over and Carol could return to Ottawa. With the baby asleep in his crib, Carol and Christine quickly reviewed expectations and a very short list of emergency contact numbers. Then, reluctantly, Carol joined the rest of the family in the car and began the long drive to Waterloo. So sorry, Don, I don't mean to interrupt you, but um, if you could allow me a second here. I just want to tell the listeners this part right there coming up, this next part, it's critical. And so, Don, if you would, it's just going to have the listeners take a note here, but uh, go ahead and continue. Hey, hey, no problem, Tim. Um, well, shortly after the taillights had disappeared down the road, Christine went into the nursery to check on the sick child. Now, she reached down into the crib and gently lifted the sleeping boy. As she tilted his head slightly so that she could cradle him in her arms, the infant awoke suddenly and began crying out in pain. Christine immediately suspected that his illness was far more serious than his mother, Carol, or even the family doctor had assumed. Now, although she had no formal medical training herself, when Christine had worked as a nanny in the consulate, one of the ambassador's young children had developed spinal meningitis. She had learned that one of the early symptoms of this deadly disease is unusual pain associated with movement of the head and neck. Tim, she had heard these same cries of pain before from a child in her care. She also knew that the disease could be fatal, but it was curable if diagnosed and treated at an early stage. Time was the critical factor. My apologies again, but I want each of our listeners to put themselves in Christine's shoes and ask, what would you have done? In an age before cell phones, she couldn't phone the baby's parents on the road and ask for their advice. The family doctor had just examined the child and had not recommended taking him to the hospital. The easiest course of action would be to do nothing. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Tim. Um, doing nothing would have been the easiest thing to do. I mean, she was, after all, just a babysitter, just a newcomer to Canada. She wasn't a medical expert. I mean, you could ask yourself, well, what did she know? I mean, the doctor had promised to check on, in on the child sometime the next day. You know, why not wait? But instead, Christine picked up the phone, called the family doctor, and demanded that he return immediately to check on the baby in her care. A short time later, Christine, the doctor, and the baby arrived at Ottawa Hospital, where a diagnosis of spinal meningitis was confirmed. Early treatment saved the boy's life. Early treatment almost 60 years ago, saved my life. Oh my gosh. I mean, I feel like I'm listening to Paul Harvey. Now you know the rest of the story. Trust me when I say to our younger listeners, Paul is well worth a YouTube search. But if you're under 40, you missed something pretty special. Don, as I said, there are a couple of reasons you tell this story. Well, Tim... I Thank you for that. I'm sorry for getting broken up there. Um, it's an interesting set of coincidence. I mean, my grandfather's death ultimately saving my life. But some of your listeners will be wondering, what does Christine's story have to do with safety or leadership? Here's the link. 
All too often, when a serious injury or fatality occurs at work, we hear, after the fact, that it was predictable. Someone or some group of individual employees knew it was just a matter of time. But instead of speaking up, they said nothing. Why? I'm guessing that some of them thought to themselves, well, I'm just an employee. I'm new to this company. I'm not a safety expert. What do I know? I'm sure our safety management system will take care of it eventually. Why not just wait? Like Christine, our employees are often aware of the leading indicators that precede these tragedies. They just don't feel empowered to communicate their concerns to managers, supervisors, or even fellow employees. And all too often, when those confident enough to speak up actually voice their concerns, they are dismissed because, well, they're not safety professionals. What do they know? I'm sure glad my family doctor didn't display this same professional arrogance on the night Christine called him. Now, as leaders, we need to understand that speaking up like Christine did is hard. In the workplace, we will need to take a proactive role in encouraging, gathering, and communicating ideas and leading indicators from the shop floor. Opening up communication starts with you as a leader, and that communication starts with listening. Only when individuals believe that their voice is heard, that their input is valuable, will they begin to share what they know. And that flow of information will improve organizational learning and help to build a culture of safety, trust, and respect. And Tim, as I know from personal experience, it might just also save someone's life. An incredible story, uh, but it also illustrates two valuable principles of Safe Start. I think a wonderful byproduct that we didn't anticipate when we started over two decades ago, well, from now, is that Safe Start adds to the employee's lexicon and it allows employees to intervene in a non-threatening, non-judgmental way on each other's behalf. You know, back when then we were concerned ourselves with preventing just workplace injuries. I, I think that's where we started from, Tim. That's a noble cause for sure. But none of us could have anticipated what you just said. We hear in this world, if you see something, say something. Well. What you're looking for is those four states and errors, rushing, frustration, fatigue, complacency, eyes on task, mind on task, line of fire, balance, traction, grip. The ability to intervene on each other's behalf may well be the lasting legacy of the Safe Start process. Absolutely. I just I hate to say this, Don, but we're just about out of time, but I want you to talk about the human factors framework just before we go. Sure, Tim. Um, and obviously we don't have time to cover all of it, but a very, at a very basic level, the framework model helps organizations picture the interplay between individual and organizational learning in the workplace. Now at Safe Start, we have always helped individuals to learn from their own actions and past experiences and create an individual learning loop for 24 seven safety and performance improvement. But in the workplace, we need individual learning to make its way into the larger organizational learning loop as a leading indicator for continuous improvement. Now, in Christine's story, she had valuable information learned from her past experience at the consulate 
and new information from my reaction, those cries of pain, when she picked me up from the crib. Because Christine immediately asked herself, who needs to know about this? And because she felt empowered to speak up, this new leading indicator information got into the organizational learning loop, in this case, of the doctor and the hospital system. And it got there before it was too late. As I said earlier, Tim, I'm sure glad that Christine found her voice and spoke up. I would agree, but she also had that education, which means, you know, in the very beginning, when you get the education, you just said it, see something, say something. But sometimes people will think, employees would think that they don't have that authority. Well, if the authority is given, and in Christine's case, she called the doctor because she had the education, I, I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful that you're still here. As a matter of, fa- as a matter of fact, uh, my podcasting partner, Danny Smith, and I, we did a podcast entitled A Guide to Improving Organizational Performance, which is quite literally viewing human factors through the lens of a process that we call safe factor. I mean, it's not a process you have to purchase, but rather a free tool to adjust how we see challenges through the lens of the human factors framework. So, Don, if our listeners needed to reach out to you in any capacity as the chief client officer of SaveStart, the best way would be by email. Sure. I'd be happy to speak with anyone in any capacity regarding SaveStart. Um, good things, bad things, um, your experiences, uh, anecdotal. Uh, anyone can start the conversation by reaching out to me, as you said, at my email address. It's very simple, just like me. It's just don at savestart.com. So, Don, thanks for your time today. We sure appreciate it. And we're certainly thankful for Christine speaking up. Um, thanks to you, our listeners, as well, for spending some of your day with us. And please don't forget about our Human Factors Conference in Orlando coming up in February. And if you'd like more information on that, reach out to your account executive. Until next time, for everyone here at Safe Talk with Safe Start, I'm Tim Page Bodorf. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you down the road.